previously on Secret Skin. And my musical guest, my new t-shirt. I'm a t-shirt, and I say words. It says I get starfish on my front part. Rascass is here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, damn, like, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? You know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a thesis paper. Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> D-R-E. I make the hottest beats and I fucking make the best lyrics. Okay. That's your brand. You're a Snickers bar. I don't expect a nigga named Dr. Snickers to be in there every day baking toffee. And, 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 you understand what I'm saying? You mean Mr. Snickers ain't coming to Right. This is Secret Skin! Ladies and gentlemen, this is Secret Skin. Welcome. Welcome wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are. Recording live from a hotel room in the Twin Cities. I was here performing on the Doomtree Zoo. Which was amazing. It was Aesop Rock and Doomtree and Shabazz Palaces and Serengeti and Abbey Wolf and me. And me. That was fun. It was an amazing show. I was very happy to be part of it. See all those wonderful people. Shout out to Doomtree. This is Secret Skin. As you heard a moment ago on the last Secret Skin, we had a wonderful interview with Raz Cass. I called it wonderful. I mean it. We also had a musical performance from my new t-shirt. I'd say, honestly, a, a questionable performance at best. I mean, you know, I want to be too harsh, but there were a couple hiccups. Which is amazing considering a shirt doesn't have a mouth or a gastrointestinal system. But it went cool. Cool enough that the shirt actually sold out on the first day. There were only 50 of them made. They sold out first day. Thank you guys for uh, buying those up quickly. Um, but like I said, the shirt sold out. And uh, I believe... Uh, for lack of a better term, it went to the shirt's head. It's been a little tough to deal with lately. The shirt has. Won't return any of my phone calls. Went all Hollywood on me. I just have this feeling that I'll probably never hear from it again. This is what happens when I try to call it. You know who you call. T-shirt. Yeah. I'm not able to answer the phone right now because I don't have no hands. Yeah. You know what? I know it's you, Mike Giggle. You the only person that got my phone number. Because how do I even have a phone? I'm never going to talk to you again. You doubted me, homie. You shit on my song. That shit was a hit, B. That shit is at the top of the Rhapsody charts in Iceland, B. 
Iceland, homie. Bjork be bumping my shit, homie. Anyway, you slept. Now I'm sold out. People love me. I'm worth it. You can go suck on a lemon, homie. For calling my line. Yeah, so I just got this this feeling, you know, just this tingling, this this sense. I'm like reading the tea leaves, and the tea leaves are spelling out that uh, you know, things might not be good again for me in that shirt, you know. I might have to just, you know, I have to learn to let go. I gotta learn to let go, you know. It was fun while it lasted. We had a good time. Had him on the show. I can't say that for a great many of my friends. You know what I mean? That was great. You got to live in the good times. But, ladies and gentlemen, I do have a new t-shirt that is for sale right now at openmikeeagle.bigcartel.com. It's a new Ziggy Starfish shirt. Only 50 pieces. And um, this one, I think, is a little bit nicer. A little kinder. Treating me a little better. Listening to my wants and my needs. This shirt is a good listener. It's a good listener. I think I learned my lesson, folks. But once again, this is Secret Skin. On this episode, uh, we have a talk with DJ House Shoes, Detroit's own. He lives in L.A. now. A lot of people know him from being Jay Dilla's DJ and longtime friend. Jay Dilla, uh, rest in peace, being the incredible producer, one of the best ever responsible for... Uh, so much incredible music with a tribe called Quest, Farside, Janet Jackson. Uh, the man's catalog was insane, and he influenced so many people around the world. Um, so much of LA's beat scene, um, you know, it's helmed by uh, Flying Lotus, Daedalus, uh, No Size Thing. There's so much of an influence of Jay Dilla there. So we spent a lot of time talking about um, how he met Dilla. And uh, how the Detroit sound kind of developed. And it's interesting too because it now influences the LA sound as well. And here it is my talk with DJ House Shoes. This is Secret Skin. Do you feel like at home in LA? This is home, man. Yeah. It's 10 years. Mm. It's, you know what I mean? If it wasn't home, I wouldn't. I would be trying to find what the fuck home was. You know what I mean? <laughs> you go somewhere for ten years. If it ain't feeling like home, you got to start shopping. Yeah. What made you want to move out here in the first place? Like actually pick up sticks and move from Detroit. Uh, to well, LA. the funny thing is, uh, back in '06, uh, YG was already trying to convince me to move to New York. YG is always. God bless fucking YG, man. Tell the people who YG is, for those that don't know. Uh, YG is a founding member of Slum Village, incredible producer, incredible artist, incredible person, uh, incredible honesty and truth. And he just, you know, he, he was always an advocate for me um, to start doing my own thing. I always kind of carried the, my responsibility to the city of Detroit and the in the scene and the hip-hop community. I carried that responsibility much higher than I carried my responsibility to myself. Mm. You know what I mean? I just loved the shit we was doing and I wanted the shit to be available to as many as possible. 
and just never really looked beyond that. I would use my assets and my connections to aid everybody else's situation, but never really locked my eyes on the fact that I need to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So fucking Donuts came out. Uh, YG was DJing at Joe's Pub in New York. And it was an incredible night. Ended up meeting a young lady that night that I ended up being in a relationship for a few years. Great girl. And, you know, Joe's Pub that night was incredible. YG's playing all the joints all night. And I was staying with Big Tone. He was living in New York at the time. And we woke up the next morning and Jay was gone. Mm. You know what I mean? What had happened was we woke up to go to Fat Beast to cop the donuts shit, just to add to the numbers for the week. And as soon as you go down them stairs, you know, it's like a long staircase at the old spot in New York. Walked all the way down the stairs, and as soon as my foot hit the concrete, my phone rang, it was YG. And he was like, shoes, he's gone. Damn. And I was like, what the fuck you talking about? Right. His whole intonation got very, you know, urgent. He's like, shoes, he's gone. And it clicked. And fuck. Me and Tom sat on that curb in front of Fat Beast, cried like babies for about an hour and a half. God damn. And then we blew boogers all over the city of New York that night. You know yeah, what I mean? For sure. Um, caught a plane to go to the funeral. Went to the funeral. Tarak told me the night of the funeral, um, they was getting together at what was then known as the Little Temple. Yeah. So he's like, I got a bag of records. I'm going to play some shit. A bunch of the homies going to play records. Come through. I was like, I don't want to play no fucking records. I'll right. come through, you know, whatever. Fellowship. We drink. Deal with the situation. And uh, a lot of Hennessy. <laughs> I remember running out of cigarettes. I, me and Haircut went up there. Y'all know him as Mayor Hawthorne now. I, his number's still on the phone as DJ motherfucking haircut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Shouts to Drew. And I was out of cigarettes, so we went to the 7-Eleven across the street, and I was already faded, and they had the hostess display. Yeah. All the donuts. <laughs> Bought all the motherfuckers. It started getting angry just on some drunk shit, like my man's gone, this shit is fucked up. Went back in the club, was fucking like throwing donuts at chicks and shit. You want some donuts, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was heavy. Word. So uh, the DJ was playing like a bunch of donuts, breaks, 45s and shit. And I remember not being too pleased with the manner that the records was being played. Just in terms of DJing? Yeah. Which was kind of some asshole shit because we was all fucked up. You know what I mean? Like it was what it was. So I went up to the DJ and I was like, Jay want me to play uh, some records right now. And, and by Jay, did you mean Dylan? Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. So you mean like the spirit yeah. word. That's just how I felt. And uh, Tarak opened his bag up to me, and I took another double shot of Hennessy, and I don't remember nothing after that. Damn. And it was a few close homies that was out from Detroit, and it was a lot of the new homies from, from L.A., a lot of the, the, the better DJs from the scene, and from what I'm told, basically everybody was just kind of on stage just watching and cats were saying they'd never seen me DJ like that in my life. Hmm. And I done burnt shit down on a few occasions <laughs> cats had seen, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, cats said I was like sobbing the whole time I was DJing, I was killing it and shit, it's crazy. So the next morning I woke up and I met with Wajid and he was like, I know, I was, we was talking about that New York shit, but you just planted a hell of a motherfucking seed out here, you know yeah. what I mean? So you might want to head out this way. 
two months almost to the day proof got killed Damn. two months after that <clears throat> i was a resident of los angeles hey you know what i mean hey I mean, there was a spot you was DJing at, at in Detroit that was like the legendary place. Well, the first spot, I started uh, DJing at St. Andrews in 1994, like third Friday in April, like when I was on, when I was employed by them. You know, I went to Eastern Michigan University. I got kicked out of school for some bullshit and took the uh, remainder of my, you know, school money, books and tuition and shit and Spent all that shit on records over about three months. And I would just bring a little stack of records up to St. Andrews. And I'd be like, let me get like the last 10 minutes, last 15 minutes. And that's a hell of a fucking thing. You know, don't know DJ want to give up the last 15 minutes. What, what year are we talking here? This is 94. Okay. This is like fall of 93, winter of 94. Now, what's the event that's happening in St. Andrews that you coming to to even try to spin at? Uh, three Floors of Fun. It started at St. Andrews in like 1993. Uh, it was an incredible night. Uh, St. Andrews has three levels, hence the title, Three Floors of Fun. Top floor would be like the illest house and techno shit being played by the illest house and techno producers. Derek Plaslaco, Mike Huckabee, Keith Kemp. Uh, main floor, same shit with the hip-hop shit. Best hip-hop cats playing the best hip-hop shit. Basement, best alternative music from the best alternative DJs. So you just got this intermingling of all these people that just loved the top shelf of the genre that they were interested in. So they were in turn introduced to the top shelf of every genre mm. of electronic music, hip hop music, you know, dance music, rock music. So when a person bought, you know, bought entry, bought a ticket to the spot, they had free reign to go yeah. up and down as yep. they chose. Yeah. Yeah. So did that kind of become like a place where a lot of artists linked up? Where yeah, they, yeah, definitely. That was our, that was like church. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That was where we went to worship. How often was it? Every Friday. Huh. Yeah. So and then, I, so you, you took records up there that first fall 94. Yeah, what happened fall 93, winter 94. And then uh, in April one night, there was a, a fight. Uh, the homie DJ Cheese, who was a resident on the hip hop floor, got in a fight with the alternative DJ in the basement mm. and Cheese got fired and my homie Lito big up to Lito uh, he's pretty much responsible for damn near everything he he got me on that night you know what I mean and I was pretty much the resident for damn near 10 years you know what I mean yeah so we went from uh, St. Andrews and when I finally got tired of kind of working for the corporate shit, like it ended up eventually turning into like a Live Nation venue and mm. the whole shit. It was a very big shift as far as, you know, the crowd that would come through. Shit started getting mad commercial. You're getting peanuts. They making fucking racks every Friday. The money train came in. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like up to that point, cats was just making live shit just because that's what they did. But then cats started getting rich off of the shit. So you had cats that were making live shit like that shit is cool, but I want to be rich too. Who got rich? I mean, you know the whole you know big big came, Jay came. Oh, okay. Just, so you just mean like '94 hip hop, yeah. the street cats getting on for yeah, real. Yeah, just okay. the shit kind of going from rapping about rap shit to rapping about rich shit. Right, you know the hustling I mean? shit. Yeah, and it it affected the art. You know what I mean? It affected the crowd. It affected the thought process. And I was just gradually over it. You know what I mean? 
Detroit is a fucking black city. It's a black mm -hmm. one of the blackest cities in America. Right. Hip hop is a motherfucking black art form. I'm a white motherfucker. You know what I mean? Yeah. God bless the acceptance that I've had through my. I've never really had that. Who is this white motherfucker shit going right. on? But I remember one time just looking up on a Friday night, and it's like, where the fuck are we? Mm. Like this shit is look like some apartheid shit <laughs> you know what I mean it's all white motherfuckers and it's no you know not, ain't nothing wrong with white cats having fun too I'm a white motherfucker who loves this shit but it was just the soul was gone from it is that around the time when you were Dilla connected uh, I met Dilla at Street Corner in 94 it's record shop Street Corner was the first spot that I really had a platform where they gave me some power, like they gave me a budget to order records. Now Street Corner was a record store. Yeah. That's also the name of your new label. Yeah, right, Street well, Corner Music. Yep. Okay, that's where you get the name from. Okay. Yeah, 13 Mile in Southfield, about a mile and a half from the crib where I grew up. Um, yeah, it's funny, I went in there one day because Hard to Earn came out, so I was going, I, I didn't think they would have the vinyl. I was like, fuck it, I'll just see if they got the CD. And they were sold out of the CD, but it was like, we got one copy of the vinyl left. And I was like, oh shit, I'm super geeked up. And I just asked them if they needed any help. Cause there wasn't really nobody, I could tell there's nobody really in charge of doing the hip hop shit up there. So they were like, yeah, that'd be great. But uh, you know, we don't really have a budget for it. We could pay you in trade, pay you in records. Yeah. And I was like, shit, fuck, there we go. <laughs> That's what's up. You know, I need that new shit. Because basically, that back in the day, my goal was, okay, it would be St. Andrews on Friday, and I got six days to find the heat. This yeah. ain't like where you get a fucking MP3 email blast in 2015. Right. There's like five or six copies of the white label in the city, maybe, and you yeah. had to find out who had the motherfuckers. Right. You know what I mean? So that's what the mission was. Hit them record shops for the next five days, find them joints that ain't nobody got, and then crack motherfuckers' heads with them at the club on was Friday. Was you living off of this at the time? Uh, nah, I mean, I was working at the record okay. shop. You I know see, what I, mean? I see. At that time, I was 19 years old. Okay. You know what I mean? So I was still at mom's crib, back at mom's crib after getting kicked out of school. Yeah, God bless moms. Mom's always been an advocate. Hold you, you down. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah 100%. But you uh, you hook up with Dilla at Street Corner. Yeah, yeah. One day this cat came in the shop, dressed all fresh, just looking through the records, struck up a conversation. You know what I mean? JD, what up? I, it wasn't no house shoes yet, really. I was where yeah. I was rocking the house shoes, but then they, like it was like you know white Mike. A white Mike, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always, you know, if you're a white motherfucker named Mike, funny, and you're in there, five shit, you white so Mike. So many white so mics in my many life. many white mics, yo. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, I was just chopping it up. He was going through records, and I, he'd take a stack of records back to the turntable, and you could see him. He'd put the headphones on, and you could see him catch some shit on the record, and he'd like take the headphones back and just kind of zone out and catch a nod, and you could see the shit see he, he had the beat in his head already yeah. it was just kind of a formality for him to execute that shit on the mp damn you know what i mean so we was closing up and he was like you want to come outside i got a tape he's dry he had a uh, white ford ranger hmm. you know what i mean got in that fucking truck and he popped that tape in and that shit changed fucking everything now this is just his beats he's playing at yeah, the time yeah, right. yeah. and what year is this 94 94 okay out of fucking control you know what i mean it's like Large Professor times Pete Rock times like <laughs> times Q Tip times Q Tip <laughs> times like a, 
a big ass ball of steroids. <laughs> you know what I mean? High power. And this is before he started working with the Um any of that. It was like right at the same time. Okay. Yeah, he had that that conversation, that line of uh that operation that just just began. He was fucking with Tip. And uh yeah, I mean, I started bringing a tape deck down to the club on Fridays and he bring tapes and shit. Ended up eventually getting like a portable DAT player where they could just bring me the DAT straight from the studio. Yeah, man, that music just t- it was like the first time I heard hip hop. First mm. time I heard hip hop was like, this is what the fuck I need. This speaks to me. Right. And then it's like within that, when I heard Jay shit, it was like, yo, it's the best shit I've ever heard within the genre. And it's from our city. I'm cramming this shit down everybody's throat. That's what's up. Like it or not. I never gave a fuck. I'm, that whole play for the crowd sh- DJ shit is the most garbage shit I've ever heard in my life. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you're supposed to play for the crowd, why get a fucking DJ? Just get a fucking jukebox. Right. You know what I mean? Let them pick it. I ain't no fucking jukebox. <laughs> I'm here to fucking educate motherfuckers. Who want to go to a club and party and hear the same shit they've heard all day? DJ's primary job is to educate and influence the crowd. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So that's what I've always been on. Your persona, especially in terms of like social media. Fucking asshole. Be, yeah, he used to be kind of angry. Yeah. I mean, it's still a little bit, yeah. but he used to be like very angry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Has it, have you like calmed it down or something on purpose? Or yeah. what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the curve of that? Yeah. Um, basically, the way my situation was is. I had to blow off all that steam what was the, what somewhere was the else coming from? than because I got a home, okay. I got a family, you know, I got other kids, like, you know, a lot of shit to take care of at the crib and it's not the easiest thing. So I got to make sure that I'm as calm as possible when I'm in that situation. Like in the family zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to be kid. fucking talk, popping off like I pop off. Like y'all see me when I'm at the crib. I don't want my kids to see that. So it's just something to kind of just keep me on the straight and narrow path mm-hmm. when I have my family time. You know what I mean? But it's definitely a lot. I just don't put up. I don't take the bullshit. I don't. Nobody speaks up. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like I feel like I've been given this fucking position where like I'm the motherfucker that will speak on People shit. People do look to you, you when, know what when I mean? some shit happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. People are looking and seeing what shoes got to say. Right. Because nobody says shit. Everybody's so goddamn safe and politically correct. It's like, fuck all that. You know, what, where is your opinion? Where is your voice? Like, what do you have to offer the world in regards to that kind of shit? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But now, you know my life situation has changed my kids ain't here with me every day so my social media shit has kind of turned into documentation of myself for them to look back at when i'm not here anymore Damn. you know what i mean okay so sometimes that situation kind of checks itself right you know what i mean i'll have some shit in me that i want to scream but i'm like uh, i'm a little more calm than i used to be That's you good. know what i mean it's tight that's tight. And um, also I see, in terms of Twitter at least, uh, it's more towards pushing the, the your new label. Yeah. Like branding that. Yeah. Tell me about the new label. Tell me about Street Corner Music. Well, Street Corner started off uh, a couple years ago. Uh, my children's mother was going to school, so I was on daddy duty. Um, couldn't really get any 
couldn't really work on anything at the time. You know, I was just at the crib with the kids, changing diapers and making ravioli and shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I was like, I got to do something. What can I do? I got to. It was just something just burning inside of me. So the homie Nameless sent me a batch of beats, and the shit was really dope. And I was like, send me some more, send me some more. And I was, I got this idea. I could do this series called The Gift. It's real easy for me to curate shit. I have an exemplary taste in music. So, I mean, I can, a motherfucker sends me 200 beats. I could build an album out of that shit in 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Sequence. Do, do people ask you to do stuff? Even before the label, people were asking you to do stuff like that? Nah. Okay. Nah, nah. So what was, what was Nameless sending you them beats for even... Uh, we we had a gig, um, we had a gig together at South by Southwest, and we had just I can't remember I can never really, in any situation, kind of go back to the birth of yeah. a certain situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Memory gets cloudy. There's a lot of Jameson going around. <laughs> but um, I was like, yo, like you a homie from the crib? You've been doing work for years, but quietly people really don't know let's let these motherfuckers know and from that it turned into this whole series called the gift that would be a free downloadable basically beat tape that i curate and sequence and build artwork and all that that to these are all people that I have relationships with or they're like one person away that one of the homies put me up on I have right. them send me a bunch of beats I build the records and then one day I was like fuck it let's do vinyl because that's where it really got crazy because in this era of SoundCloud and Bandcamp and all this digital shit these kids really have no idea how important it is to be able to hold your record in your fucking hand right show me your motherfucking mp3s show me a wave file show me a aiff put that i don't see it you can't hold it you can't smell it mm -hmm. you can't touch it you know what i mean it's like the shit that was crazy like for nameless when we pressed this shit up i was like i'm gonna send you your copies of the record right. when you get them i want you to make a video of you getting that box and opening it up and seeing and holding your record for the first right. time so he went and like made this video where he had one of his beats playing in the back that had like a long epic ass intro. So like he goes, you see him going out on the porch and picking it up and it's like the strings are going on in the back and he carries it back to the room and gets a knife out and cuts the box open and he has it, has it edited so like right when the box opens the beat drops uh. and it's like a heavy ass beat and it's like I get a tear in my eye every time I watch the shit you Damn. know what I mean because that's the whole fucking reason that's the gift that's the whole reason you know what I mean <laughs> so yeah I mean fast forward that was volume one and to go all the way to the opposite side of the spectrum volume 10 which is finally coming out on vinyl uh, in a couple months my man Drugs Beats from North Carolina he had a joint on his shit um, called Easy. This uh, Wings sample, like Paul McCartney and Wings. Dope joint. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, oh. 
So my man Ty at Aftermath, the A and R for Aftermath, got Dre that batch, that the gift volume ten. And the that fucking joint is on Compton. Really? Yeah. Which which song? The Gone Joint. Damn. Yeah. I So it's crazy, yo. You know what I mean? Like, just how the innocence of just wanting to fucking show these motherfuckers what they're supposed to be doing can just turn into something that's really got done. You know, you know what? And and um, to me that that record, you know, Dre's record Compton, is a milestone. Um, not just in terms of how often Dre drops a record, but in terms of like how connected LA is right now right. on some real shit. Yeah. Like, you know, Anderson Pack has been a homie, you know, Hellfire crazy. Club from forever. Like, I've been knowing that dude forever. That's crazy. I see that dude all the time and now he's all over this Dre record, you know, and then, you know, just everybody connects to it to a different way, but it's like LA is like a tree right now. Right. And everybody's kind of linked up. Yeah. At all these different levels, and I think it's amazing. You it's just I mean? crazy how the urgency, like the urgency, is what's changing the game. Like you know, Dre spent fucking ten, fifteen years working on a record that never came out. Right. You know, D'Angelo, ten, fifteen years, and then it just comes a situation where it's like, okay, we got to have, let's just get it fucking done now. Right. So, motherfucker, that's that's just fantastic to see that he got so inspired. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Of course, I think Kendrick had a heavy, heavy hand. Of course, in that, of course. Which is crazy because I got so tired of all that. The hip hop shit's gonna come back. The golden era is gonna come back. Golden era is never gonna come back. Never. It's over, and that shit is a cage. People gotta understand that shit is a fucking jail. You know yeah. what I mean? It's so it's okay to look back and reminisce at the you know some of our favorite times in life. You know, just community wise and art wise. But let that shit be what it was. It ain't gonna come back. Look for something new. It's and and that's the movement. thing. And then people say come back. <clears throat> In some ways, it never even really happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Word, word. Like, you know, I remember, you know, I, I would be watching Rap City or watching your own TV raps or whatever. And, and, and you know, we, when you get into like 96, 97, and like you said, a lot of cats who was doing like underground music, they started finding success and doing like club songs yeah. and that kind of thing and everything changed yeah. and um, if you was lucky you would catch a J-Rule video yeah. or a Fuji's video yeah you remember something. they would have like the new the two they would have like two new videos or one new video at the end of the Rap City Top yeah. 10 and that would be the shit and yeah. you might never see the motherfucker on there again I remember seeing the Buck'em Down video for the first time it was like the la- that last video the new joint and I fucking hooked the tape deck up to the VCR mm. and taped that shit off the motherfucking VCR yeah. I was riding out to that shit way before Same. the tape was available or anything like that yeah and, and that's like in that era like we we were dialed into it because we were going places we were hearing underground radio shows yeah. we knew where to to buy these things yeah. but it happened all in this little niche of the overall music 
Yeah, economy. people get it twisted. You know I mean? Like, yeah. that was our world. That, that was, was not everybody's world. fucking exactly. world, yo. You know what I mean? Don't get it twisted. The golden era was not a fucking major movement right. in fucking in pop modern culture, art. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, we was just the brilliant motherfuckers that was involved in it. Right. You know we, what I mean? We was connected. We were connected. Most of us were connected through doing this shit somehow. Right. Like, yeah. you had to be a rapper, be right. a DJ, be a B-boy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's how we connected to it. It wasn't like... It was just a whole bunch of casual observers. Yeah. This was our community. Yeah. And some of us was lucky enough to make records. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, I think what my, the, like the first example of like how I am on Twitter now, or you know, was a while back when cats used, this guy's a fucking asshole. When this shit started getting whack, when motherfuckers started making cornball ass records, mm-hmm. I would smash them bitches into pieces at the club on Friday. At, at St. Andrews. St. Andrews. You know what I mean? I think the first one might have been like, Something like a phenomenon or some shit like, like that. Cool you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, man, yeah, yeah. what is this fucking horrible shit? I gotta speak on this shit. I don't need to talk, but I'm gonna speak on this shit. And I let that shit play for a little while, drag the needle across that bitch, smash it on the ground, and then put on like some new heat. Huh. Craziest one was uh, you know, Detroit has damn near more Tupac fans than uh LA does. I believe it. Chicago did too. Man, yo. <laughs> so I was a biggie motherfucker. You know what I mean? I wasn't really Rest on either one of them, but I, I, was, <laughs> I was a biggie motherfucker. I like Pac um, up until Juice, and then it seemed like I love Pac as a person. I love that he was so fiery and right. like as he, a creative force. Yeah, like he was a fucking brilliant motherfucker. But it just seemed to me like after that Juice shit, it's like he became that motherfucker. Right, he became. It just Bishop. wasn't real to me. It was like he was his shit was kind of based on a character. Mm. And hit him up came out. And I was like, man, this is some whole ass shit. Like, it sounded to me like he was waking up soaked in sweat. Like, Biggie! <laughs> having, like, nightmares and shit. You know what I mean? So I played Hit Him Up, and I smashed that bitch. And I put on Unbelievable after it. Uh. And everybody in that bitch was fighting. It was like 600 motherfuckers punching each other in the face. Wow. Then the next week, it was like the retaliation night. You know, whoop, whoop. Cats got to popping off again. There was an off-duty Border Patrol officer because, you know, Detroit, Canada Canada, border. It was an off-duty Border Patrol officer that was just in the back chilling. And when Cats got to scrapping, this dude got shook and went to pull his fucking strap out, shot himself in the leg. Motherfuckers thought they were shooting in the club. It's a stampede. It was fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah, but a lot of that energy you think is based on the energy from hitting him up and you smashing it and coming with the biggie behind that. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. That was some... I'll do it again. <laughs> a lot of records ended up broke the fuck up on that stage, man. You How many I mean? if you had to if you had to estimate? I'd probably say about twenty or thirty wow. over the years. Wow. It's fucked up because I would still do that shit, but motherfuckers don't press up it's MP3. records anymore. <laughs> you can't shatter an MP three. <laughs> I was thinking of getting like some shitty just beat up Serato records and start doing that shit again. Like, yeah, bang. That's a hell of a trademark. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, yeah, like just to go back to what we were saying, it's like, yeah, so that happened and it was in our world. And I can remember times and it was like 98, 99, you'd see like, oh, Raucous got a couple videos on Rap City or whatever. You mm-hmm. think, oh, it's about to come back. No, nah, no, not, like that was all. That was it, the that was like the Titanic going down. And, and honestly, that was all our niche could could afford to fund back mm-hmm. then with our record buying powers. Yeah, that was all we could get was one video. Yeah, and then that went away. You know what I mean? And yeah, so coming back, I don't think it's ever going to be a thing. It's just going to be you know uh, something that lives underground. Yeah, you know. 
Yeah, and it's like now, you know, like I, I use my, my voice to, I'm a passionate motherfucker, man. Right. You know what I mean? Whether it be music, whether it be a movie that I see that blows me away, whether it's fucking booze, cheesesteaks, right. you know what I mean? Right, 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 right. I like to introduce the world to what I enjoy and see them enjoy it as I do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're a DJ. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah. And in 2015, Cats got it so fucked up, like, the DJs are the fucking artists and the stars and all that shit. Like, man, you ain't fucking... No DJ is more important than the music he plays. Right. So, to take that and understand that, like, if you a DJ and you a star and you playing fuckboy-ass music, mm-hmm. what are you really? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... Take your fucking powers seriously. You know what I mean? Don't introduce poison to the motherfucking world. You got to introduce the cure. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's real. So that's what I'm on, man. What makes you want to make a beat? Man. I ain't made a beat in five years, yo. I ain't made a beat pretty much since the kids. Mm -hmm. Like my whole, like, that energy is now gone into, I enjoy now more introducing because i'm not a workhorse motherfucker i've never been a workhorse producer i might make a beat might make beats for like two weeks and then not make beats for six months and then make beats for a couple months and then you know my entire body of work can be contained in two shoe boxes of floppy disks and zip disks i ain't made more than i ain't made more than fucking probably a thousand beats in my life you know what I mean? Then you got a motherfucker like Mad Lib who makes right. a thousand, a thousand beats in probably. three three hours. You know what I mean? So I just always it's always important to just make them count, and it had to resonate with me. The music that I create, I like to create something that's gonna draw some type of emotion. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just a listener and you're listening to the music, I wanted to touch you in a certain way. If you rhyme, I wanted to pull something better than average out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to pull emotional material out of people you know just create something a little heavier you know what i'm saying um the inspiration comes from the people you surround yourself with right you know what i mean if you surround yourself by a bunch of whack motherfuckers yes man and shit you're gonna make whack shit you're gonna make yes man music you know what i'm saying just shit average there's nothing worse than average shit right either be great or be terrible be great at being terrible <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> There's nothing worse than somebody telling you that your music is just good. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's the most beautiful sound in the world? My children laughing. And you, sam- the- you sampled it yet? <laughs> oh, man. I actually played this shit. I'll play, uh, I'll play this shit on here. This is fucking awesome. So the other day, uh, you fuck with Quelle. Yeah. Yeah, I made, a bu- I made a bunch of music with Quelle, too. So Scud was in here. I don't know if I was in the shower or something or what. Scud was out here with the kids, and he had this hat. It's like Quelle's hat, and he told the kids that it was like Quelle power in the hat. <laughs> so, dog. So, my daughter is like, he's like, "What you want?" And she puts her hands on her head like she wants, she wants the Quelle power hat. <laughs> Yo, How old so, is she? She turns three uh, this coming Wednesday. Okay. So listen to this shit, dog. This is the best. What do you want? Golden Tower! Golden Tower! I'm saying Golden Power! Golden Power! 
That's amazing. That's the best. That's your turn. Is Chris seen that shit yet? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. That shit fucked him up, man. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. So it's definitely that's that's the greatest sound in the world. Just and, your children being happy. Yeah. And the worst shit you'll ever hear is your children crying. <sighs> or even other like. I hate hearing other kids. It's Me crazy. Too. I used to fucking hate kids and old people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I used to hate them. But then I had kids and I'm so fucking enamored, especially now with like, you know, I'm at the crib Monday through Thursday, the kids is gone. And like, if I'm walking down the street or if I'm at the airport, I'm just so fucking enamored by children. Right. And I'll be in here sometimes, I'll be out on the balcony smoking a cigarette and you'll hear like a kid like crying or going through it and it's like, fuck. Wish you could just make that kid smile. Yo, right there's you know certain I mean? movies I can't watch after having a kid. Yo, paid in full. Yo, like paid in full was my shit. I cannot <laughs> watch that shit anymore. Yo, anything where like a child gets harmed. Yeah, I can't. I'm deal, not I can't with deal with shit. it. Like I have a whole different emotional connection to that concept now. Right. Like I can't even. You know what I mean? Right. Like movie. You ever seen Happiness? It's a weird movie to begin with, but it's some joint now. Like now that you have a kid, you just cannot watch. Wow. Word. You know what I mean? Word. Yeah, it's one of them, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. Like we watch fucking, you know. I work at a record shop on Mondays and Tuesdays just so I can have my foot in there, you know. Yeah, shit that comes through, new shit, old shit. Get my joints, and uh, fuck. What was the point of me even saying that shit? Uh, my kids or something. Oh, you know, they got like DVDs and shit. So I, the first thing I check is like, see, damn, do they get. I need I need another copy of Puss in Boots. You know what I mean? <laughs> or where the fuck is Big? Why ain't Big Hero Six came through yet? You know what I mean? That's real, man. That's yeah, real, and it's real. fucking like emotion. Like that, those are my joints, right? Like, cause those are the only movies I really went to see in the last two, three years. I be trying I to tell people like I don't really get a chance to see nothing in the thing. I'm trying to watch Straight Outta Compton so bad, <laughs> right? Like, I can't, you know right, what I mean? Because right. like I can't take the kids to it. So I don't even know how I'm gonna make that happen for myself. Man, like me and James and Ellie watched Home. It's some joint yeah. called Home. Yeah, I seen Home. And I never heard like saw any ads for it or anything, but the shit was good as fuck, yo. And like I shed a couple tears yeah. watching that motherfucker. That like when she looks moment. in the phone and she thinks she ain't gonna see her mom and the little right. girl fall like. Crying and shit. I was like, man, this shit is real, man. That's real. Fuck all that tough guy shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what's up, man. Um, what you got coming out next on the label? What should people be looking out for? Uh, the next joint is Illingsworth, Worth man, the Wait. Big up to Illingsworth. Hell yeah. That drops on the uh, on the 30th of October. Uh, my man EXT is dropping his second album on the label. He was the volume three of the gift. He's got a joint called Arts and Crafts that's really, really dope to me, man. Like, it's not, it's basically like a sketchbook. Like a motherfucker who makes beats in his bedroom, put a bunch of shit on tape for him to drive around to in the car and just like see if it sounds right. It's a lot of like minimal underproduced shit. Mm. But it just, it's like, it really captures like the innocence of production. Everything Damn. is so over the top now, you know what I mean? Right. And it just kind of takes you there to a motherfucker in his bedroom just doing what he sees fit. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that that's incredible. Um, dream come true shit. Shouts to my man Amir. Uh, OG, DJ Khan and Amir. Used to work at Fat Beats. So Khan was... Con or not Con, but Amir was my rep at Fat Beats when I was ordering records for Street Corner. Okay, back in the day, and he has come to uh, control the rights of Strata Records, which is 
a fucking incredibly legendary label from Detroit. The Holy Grail record of Detroit is the Lyman Woodard organization, Saturday Night Special. It's got a song on there called Joy Road that's probably, if not my favorite song in the world, like definitely top three. And I started doing this shit called Flip Sessions where, you know, I like to get the kids involved. Right. So I will post a sample up to my SoundCloud and it'd be like open entry. Anybody could submit a flip of it and I'll pick like the top two or three joints and we press it up on a vinyl. Right. 45, super limited. Um, and the first two went well. The third one was going to be Joy Road. Got like 200 submissions. It was some cool shit, but it was nothing where it was like, this deserves to back the original. Right, which is one of your favorites. Yeah, so I'm so geek because through Amir securing the rights to this label, I can actually legally, properly release Joy Road on 45, which has never been in the world, with an original Strata label on the motherfucker, you know what I mean? And then on the other side... I got two flips from Knotts. Okay. Who is the baddest motherfucker. Anybody who fucking knows this beat shit and knows the quote-unquote industry and all that, he's the motherfucker that got them slaps that you don't see. He'll get that hip-hop banger-ass placement on a real record. You know what I mean? It's probably one of the closest things to Dilla that still exists because, like, Dilla was a dude, you know, everybody knew the records, but nobody knew who Dilla was. Right. And it's very, very similar with Nas. He got so many placements on so many records that so many people know. So just both sides of that coin are fucking incredible to me. That should be dropping soon. One last question, man, speaking of Dilla, because your position is almost somewhat of a like a protector of a legacy since you actually you know had a robust personal relationship with the man versus most people just kind of having a relationship with the music yeah you know what I mean? so like what do you think is the most important thing people should remember about him that actually might be forgotten oh uh, that he didn't give a fuck about none of this shit mm. you know what i mean yeah he's all about he was a fucking he was Van Gogh. He was fucking Michelangelo. He was fucking the best. You know what I mean? And he created art for that purpose. He did what the fuck he wanted to do. You know, when he was down there in front of that box, it wasn't no, I'm trying to get a spot on this or I'm trying to get a spot on that. He was like, I'm doing me and I'm the motherfucking best, yo. Mm. I'm fucking creating magic over here every time. You know what I'm saying? Word up. Yeah, just do what you do, man. Don't think about it. And see, it's fucked up because, like, in this day and age, it's all about the money. Right. It's all about the money. That's why people don't got people used to make beats because they love to make beats. Right. People used to rap because they love to rap, and now people do that shit because they're trying to get rich. Right. And fuck that shit, man. You know what I mean? I mean? It ain't gonna happen no way for the most part. <laughs> I, fuck, I fuck with the homie, uh, my man uh, Jay Hatch. He got this shit called I Standard, and it's like a beat placement type of situation where they try to get cats placed on albums and. Love the dude. They gave me a crazy ass award. Like it fucked me up. They gave me this Legend in the Making award a few years ago that they gave to like DJ Khalil the year before. Damn. And I'm like, wow, I appreciate that. And at that joint, they came down and gave me the little award. They had this whole little panel. They're talking about publishing. They're talking about this and that and that and that. All this money shit and don't sample and protect your protect your shit. And, uh. and I got up in front of them kids and I was like, no disrespect to y'all. Thank you for this award. But fuck all that shit that they just talked to you about for an hour. Damn. 
create some motherfucking art. If you sit down in front of that box and you're thinking about all this bullshit that they just told you, it's clouding your creative output. That's real. You create for the sake of creation. And if you go in there like, okay, I can't do, you fucking it all up. You're fucking diminishing the artistic, the intrinsic like artistic value of these people. Right, if you're thinking about anything other than making the best yeah, thing you can make. make that then shit and then figure the out all that bullshit make. afterwards. You know That's what I mean? Right. Yeah, create, man. That's my interview with House Shoes. Big shout out to House Shoes for coming and rocking. Not rocking. He didn't rock nothing. We sat on his couch and we talked. And it was great. Always a pleasure to hear him, hear from him, hear his opinions, hear his stances on things. Um, especially given his journey and the things he's seen and been close to. The things he's been a part of and the music that he's made. Uh, make sure you guys check out Street Corner Music. Um, this week, I'll be in Atlanta. I just got added to the A3C Festival. I will be rocking uh, this Thursday out there with uh, Serengeti and LaRange. Uh, it should be a super dope show. Um, next week, I'm in Portland at Holocene on the 15th. And um, I think, by golly, that's the end of my booking for now. I think that is the end of my, no, that's not true. December 3rd, Bowling Green, Ohio. Live Wire TV concert series. If you're in the Ohio area, check that out. And um, yeah, we got the new shirts up. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for uh, buying an old shirt so fast that it's gone. Um, if you can, rate, review the podcast on iTunes. Uh, that's really helpful because of some algorithm that I'm not really uh, fully understanding. But uh, it's a good thing to tell people. Let me know uh, any feedback that you have at omebooking.gmail.com. Send those questions. Send those comments. Send the uh, send some, some ideas for guests, people who you think would be interesting to hear, people you really want to hear from. Yeah, man, holler at me. I'm here. I'm not here. I'm in a hotel room. I'm somewhere, though. Wherever I'm at, I'm there. That's for damn sure. This is Secret Skin.